This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. In this series, I get to blend two of my favorite subjects, true crime and art history. Back in season one of the podcast, I brought you the story about the life and death of the artist Vincent Van Gogh. I attempted to discover whether Van Gogh had really killed himself at the age of 37, as history tells us, or if his death could have been a homicide. In this episode, I get to revisit Van Gogh, one of my favorite artists, to talk about a brazen museum heist. Two of Van Gogh's works were stolen, and what happened to them would remain a mystery for 14 years. I'll unravel that story for you with all its twists and turns in this final episode of the series, Artful Crimes. This is the case of the Van Gogh Museum Heist. Vincent Van Gogh was one of the most prolific artists of the 19th century. Born in 1853 in the Netherlands, he only lived until the age of 37, but created over 2,000 works of art, including almost 900 oil paintings. Van Gogh never received much recognition for this art while he was alive. As far as we can tell, he only sold two of his paintings during his lifetime and died in relative poverty, surviving on money given to him by his family, namely his brother Theo. Van Gogh sometimes offered his paintings to people to whom he owed money in exchange for the debt. Shortly before his death in 1890, Van Gogh's works were just starting to be exhibited and positively reviewed by art critics. After his death, memorial exhibitions of his work were held in Brussels, Paris, Antwerp, and The Hague. It was only then that the public became aware of the great talent that had been lost. Today, Van Gogh's works are some of the most recognizable in the world, as well as some of the most valued, both artistically and monetarily. Prices for a Van Gogh landscape at auction started around $10 million and can go as high as $70 million. Portraits and some of the artist's more well-known works have been sold for even higher dollar amounts. A Van Gogh self-portrait sold for $71 million in 1998, and The Portrait of Dr. Gachet sold for $82.2 million in 1990, or about $161 million in today's dollars. So it's no wonder that thieves have targeted Van Gogh paintings for decades. From 1933 to 1935, dozens of Van Gogh works were stolen by the Nazis, many from Jewish art collectors. More than 40 pieces by Van Gogh have been stolen in 15 different heists from the 1960s to the 1980s. Some have been recovered, but there are approximately 85 pieces that are still unaccounted for. The Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam is home to the largest collection of Van Gogh art in the world. With over 200 paintings, 400 drawings, and 700 letters by Vincent Van Gogh on display, it attracts over 2 million visitors annually, making it the most visited museum in the Netherlands by far. The Van Gogh Museum has been hit by thieves twice. The first burglary of the museum took place on April 14, 1991. One of the thieves hid in the museum's bathrooms for hours before holding up two security guards at gunpoint and forcing them to disable the security system 
and unlocked the front door where a second thief was waiting. The two then spent 45 minutes inside carefully selecting 20 Van Gogh works before loading them into a vehicle and driving away. They had planned a rendezvous with another party to switch cars before making their getaway. But the car got a flat tire on the way to the pickup location. Their plan thwarted, the thieves abandoned the car and the paintings and fled on foot. The car, with all 20 paintings still inside, was located 35 minutes after the heist occurred. Investigators discovered that the heist had been an inside job. Museum security guards were involved. In the end, four men, all Dutch nationals, were arrested and convicted of the robbery. They were sentenced to six and seven years behind bars. But the second time the Van Gogh Museum was hit, it would not be resolved so quickly. It would take investigators in three countries 14 years to crack the case. That story is next, right after a short break. For the first time ever, CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is going international. CrimeCon UK will take place in London this September 25th and 26th. The weekend will be filled with true crime presentations and experiences from leading criminologists, families and survivors, forensic experts, journalists, celebrities from the true crime world, and more. You'll also have the chance to meet all your favorite true crime podcasters on CrimeCon's podcast row. I'll be there to hang out with you, answer questions, and talk true crime. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend partnered by Crime and Investigation. You won't want to miss it, so hit up your best true crime friends and plan for a great weekend of true crime on September 25th and 26th in London. To join me at CrimeCon UK, go to crimecon.co.uk. When you register, use my offer code onceupon 21 to get 10% off your tickets. That's crimecon.co.uk and use offer code onceupon21 to get 10% off your ticket and I'll see you there. The weather had dipped well below freezing on Saturday, December 7, 2002 in the city of Amsterdam. At just before 8 a.m. that morning, Before the Van Gogh Museum opened for the day, a car drove slowly by its entrance and came to a stop, parking on a side street adjacent to the building. Two men emerged from the vehicle carrying a leather bag and a 15-foot ladder. Climbing over a gate, they walked up a flight of stone steps and then pulled themselves up to the top of a wall that ran just below the second-floor museum gallery. They placed the ladder on the wall's ledge and extended it up to a large window. They then removed a sledgehammer from their tool bag and smashed it into the window several times, breaking through the reinforced glass. Once the hole was large enough to accommodate them, they climbed through. They had come to steal two high-valued paintings, Van Gogh's world-famous Sunflowers painting, as well as one of his earlier works titled The Potato Eaters. But they discovered that the Sunflowers piece had an extra layer of security around it, so they quickly discarded this plan. They also discovered that the potato eaters was too large to fit through the hole they had made in the window. So instead, they grabbed two smaller canvases that were located near the broken window. Moving quickly, they stuffed them both into a bag and ran back out onto the roof of the building. A rope had been tied to a flagpole on the roof of the museum, 
which they used to rappel down to the street in front of the building. The burglar with the bag came down so fast that the bag containing the paintings hit the pavement hard, chipping the paint on the corner of one of the canvases. The first security alarm began blaring as soon as the window was smashed. There was only one security guard on duty in the museum at that time of the morning, and she quickly summoned the police, reporting a breach of the building. Museum policy didn't allow her to confront the thieves directly, so she could only wait anxiously for officers to arrive. Two more alarms began to sound when the paintings were removed from the gallery walls. Police arrived in just minutes, but as they reached the back of the museum, the burglars were already escaping from the front. They returned to their vehicle and drove off, looking like ordinary workmen heading to a job site. They passed right by the police cars, sirens wailing, who didn't give them a second look. The whole caper from start to finish took just three minutes and 40 seconds, and the burglars absconded with two Van Gogh paintings worth an estimated $30 million. The two paintings stolen from the Van Gogh Museum in December 2002 were both early works by the artist. View of the Sea at Shevnian, painted in August of 1882, was Van Gogh's first known oil painting. Before that time, he had primarily focused on drawings. The canvas was only one of two seascapes he would paint during his time in the Netherlands, and the only one from that period in the Van Gogh Museum's collection. The second, Congregation Leaving the Reformed Church in Noonan, was a more personal painting for Van Gogh. Painted between 1884 and 1885, the artist had presented it to his mother Anna as a gift as she was convalescing from a broken leg. The painting depicts congregants walking past a steepled church, the very church where Van Gogh's father, Theodorus Van Gogh, had served as minister. The painter's father died the same year that this work was completed, making it perhaps a memorial piece as well. Neither of the paintings had ever been sold at auction, but because of their importance as early works of Van Gogh, their combined value would be estimated at approximately $30 million. The museum offered a reward of £100,000 for information leading to the recovery of the paintings, and the FBI's art crime team would include the Van Gogh Museum robbery on their top 10 art crimes list. The thieves may have gotten away scot-free, and perhaps the two works may have never been recovered, except for one mistake they made during the commission of their crime. As they slid down the rope from the busted gallery window to the street, a baseball cap, worn by one of the men, had fallen from his head. In his hurry to flee before police arrived, he had not had time to retrieve it. This clue left behind by the robbers would lead to the identification of a well-known professional thief named Octave Durham. Some people are born teachers. Some are born footballers. I'm a born burglar, Octave Aki Durham would once say. Durham had been a thorn in the side of police divisions in Holland for years. Nicknamed the monkey because of his ability to climb into seemingly inaccessible areas and break into buildings, he had committed several high-profile and high-dollar burglaries, including bank jobs and cracking into safety deposit boxes. Durham would claim that he targeted the Van Gogh Museum not due to any particular affinity for art, but simply because, quote, he could. Others have theorized that he was hired by someone with deep pockets to steal the Van Goghs for their art collection. Whatever the truth is behind the motivation, 
We know that Durham enlisted an accomplice named Hank Beeslin to commit the art heist. After just being missed by the police as they absconded with the Van Goghs, the two drove to Durham's residence. There, Durham took the two paintings out of the bag and removed them from their frames and plexiglass covers, most likely to make them easier to stash and or to transport. It was the seascape painting that had paint chipped from its corner when Durham had hit the ground after sliding down the rope. He threw the paint chips into the toilet and would later throw the frames into the canal. Valuable art appears to be notoriously easy to steal, as art heists have occurred many times from several high-profile and lesser-known museums. But stolen artwork is also extremely difficult to profit from, since it cannot be placed for sale on the open market. Art thieves take a great risk when performing these crimes, but according to the FBI Arts Crime Division, the rate of return on stolen art is low, somewhere in the area of 10% of its total value. Of course, for a major artist like Van Gogh, that could still reap millions. Durham needed to find a buyer for the Van Goghs as soon as possible. If we believe that he'd undertaken the heist without being directed to by a potential buyer, then he would have had to reach out to someone he knew who would be interested in the stolen art. Luckily for Durham, he had important connections in the criminal underworld, and he now reached out to one. Hoor van Hout was a Dutch criminal who had led the kidnapping of Alfred H. Heineken, heir to the Heineken fortune, in 1983. Van Hout, along with four accomplices, abducted Heineken and his chauffeur and held them prisoner for three weeks while they sought to collect a $10 million ransom. The ransom was paid and the men were released, but the kidnappers had disappeared. Van Hout and one other kidnapper were arrested in Paris the following year. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison, and most of the money was located and returned. Van Hout had later been jailed for four years for his part in a drug smuggling operation, but was free at the time of the Van Gogh Museum heist. It was Van Hout that agreed to purchase the stolen Van Goghs. A price was agreed upon, and the exchange was to take place in late January, about six weeks after the museum break-in. On the day of the planned meeting, Van Hout, who had long been a target of a rival criminal gang, was killed in a mafia-style hit on a North Holland street. Durham was now left without a buyer. The art thieves put out feelers in the criminal underworld and received a response from Raffaele Imperiali, boss of the Camorra crime family headquartered in Naples. Imperiali ran cocaine trafficking and other criminal operations on an international scale. The Camorra clan invested their profits in properties in Spain, Dubai, and the Isle of Man. Imperiali agreed to purchase the paintings from Durham for 350,000 euros, or about 420,000 U.S. dollars. According to art crimes investigator Arthur Brand, stolen art is used as a banknote to be traded for arms or drugs in the criminal underworld. Durham and Beeslin split the money and went their separate ways. They spent the money on luxury vehicles, motorcycles, clothes, jewelry, and trips to New York City and Disneyland Paris with their families. The money was gone within six weeks. But unbeknownst to Durham, investigators were already tracking his movements, having identified him by a crucial piece of evidence he had left behind on the night of the museum break-in, his baseball cap. Investigators were hoping that the one piece of evidence left behind at the Van Gogh Museum robbery might lead to the identification of the robbers. Surveillance cameras at the museum had captured video of the break-in, but the robbers had been wearing ski masks 
making it impossible to identify them. Hairs found caught in the baseball cap were sent away for DNA analysis, and in the summer of the following year, a match was made from the cap to known burglar Aki Durham. Once they had a suspect, investigators began tracking Durham through phone wiretapping and following the money trail he left behind. They discovered that he was spending tens of thousands of dollars on frivolous purchases, which further confirmed him as a likely suspect. By listening in on phone conversations, detectives determined that the paintings had likely been sold early in 2004. Police conducted a raid of Durham's residence to bring him in, but he was able to escape out of a window. Police searched for any sign of the artwork or where it had gone, but they found nothing. Durham was also long gone, fleeing to Spain where he would remain free for several months before authorities caught up with him. He was taken into custody in the spring of 2004. Durham's accomplice was also arrested, and the two went on trial in May 2004. Investigators attempted to get Durham to reveal the whereabouts of the paintings, but he refused to talk. His attorney tried to claim that the baseball cap had been planted in order to frame Durham and throw detectives off the trail of the real culprits, but the jury didn't buy this defense. Durham and Beeslin were found guilty and were sentenced to four and a half years in prison, but the two Van Goghs remained lost. The case of the stolen Van Goghs had only partially been solved. The culprits were identified and sent to prison, but the paintings were still missing. In 2005, Durham was released from prison after serving just over two years of his four-and-a-half-year sentence and had never divulged to whom he had sold the paintings. He was soon sent back to prison after a failed bank robbery. It's possible that Durham planned this crime in an attempt to pay off the 350,000 euro fine he was ordered to pay for the Van Gogh heist. Several organizers were involved in attempting to track down the Van Goghs, including art crimes investigators in the Netherlands and Spain, as well as the FBI's art crimes unit. But by 2007, the case had stalled. Then, after another museum heist, a lead came from London. Two more Van Goghs and a Cezanne had been taken this time, and detectives working on that case learned that they had been transported to Italy. It was also hinted that someone involved went by the nickname Pinocchio. Now detectives with Italy's elite art crime squad became involved in the investigation. While following up on leads into the 2007 theft, they also heard chatter about the 2002 Van Gogh Museum heist. According to their sources, Durham and Beeslin had inside help from someone connected to the museum. All leads were investigated, and it was believed that the Van Goghs were being hidden somewhere in Italy, but they would remain missing for close to another decade. Organized crime investigators in Naples had been working to bring down the Camorra crime family for years. One by one, they took out major players involved in the gang's drug trafficking operation. Their goal was to flip someone who was close to the boss, Raffaele Imperioli, to reveal his whereabouts. Imperioli, feeling the heat from multiple investigations into his criminal activity, had fled the country and disappeared somewhere around 2013 or 2014. In 2015, authorities were able to put enough pressure on one of Imperiali's close associates, Mario Cerrone, to get him to reveal information about the Camorra's drug trade, as well as the location of at least one safe house where money, weapons, and stolen property was stashed. It was also discovered that Imperiali was holed up in Dubai. <laughs> 
Imperiali got word that the Carabinieri was working on having him extradited back to Italy to face charges of narcotics trafficking. In August of 2016, Imperiali sent a letter to Vincenzo Mara, the prosecutor overseeing the case against him in Naples. In the letter, he admitted that he had the two stolen Van Goghs from the 2002 robbery and used this as a bargaining chip for a reduced prison sentence on the drug charges. He told authorities exactly where the paintings could be found. Days later, a home owned by Imperiali's mother was raided by police. It was located in the seaside town of Castellamari di Stabia near Pompeii. The paintings were found wrapped in a cloth and hidden behind a wall next to the kitchen. Over $20 million worth of other assets were seized as property acquired through the illegal trafficking of drugs into the country. Farmlands, villas, and apartments belonging to Imperiali and his associates were all confiscated by the government. In late September 2016, the director of the Van Gogh Museum received a call from police in Naples. He was asked to send the museum's curator to help identify art recovered during a criminal investigation. When the curator arrived at the police station in Naples, she entered a room where the paintings had been placed side by side on a cloth-covered table. She was amazed to see that after being missing for nearly 14 years, the two Van Goghs were both in relatively good condition. The lower left-hand corner of the seascape had suffered the only major damage. The recovery of the Van Goghs was greatly celebrated in the Netherlands. Axel Ruger, director of the Van Gogh Museum, said, The homecoming of the recovered paintings means that our collection is once again complete. We can now close the door on this particularly painful period in our history. Dutch investigators credited the Italians for solving the case and as a thank you, allowed the two Van Goghs to first be exhibited at the National Museum of Cabo de Monte in Naples. They were on view, sans frames, with the damage to the seascape visible for three weeks before being returned to Amsterdam. The paintings were then put back on display in their home museum for a short time before being taken down for restoration. Aki Durham had continued to claim that he was not responsible for the theft of the Van Goghs. But in 2013, he had contacted the museum with an offer to help retrieve the paintings. He said, however, that he had not stolen them, but had information about the theft that might be useful in locating them. The museum rejected his offer because he was suggesting they use him as an intermediary to buy the paintings back. Just when the case was about to break open in 2015, Durham confessed his part in the heist to documentary filmmaker Vincent Verwey. After convincing the filmmaker that he was, in fact, guilty of stealing the paintings, he cooperated in the making of a documentary about the heist. Titled Stealing Van Gogh, it was released by the BBC in 2018. Raffaele Imperiali remains a fugitive living in Dubai. In January 2017, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison in absentia on drug trafficking and other charges related to Camorra crime organization activities. Due to his cooperation in retrieving the Van Goghs, his prison sentence was reduced from 20 years to 12. However, as of this writing, he remains in Dubai, living in expensive villas and $1,500 a night hotel rooms. Italian authorities are still seeking his extradition. His attorneys say they don't know if he will ever return to Italy to face charges. He is homesick for his parents, his lawyer told reporters. 
But in Dubai, he is a free man. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. And that will do it for the series Artful Crimes. To get a bonus episode with more information on some of the cases I've recently covered, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash onceuponacrime. Next month, I'll start a new series in which I cover a prolific serial killer that hunted for his victims in Northern California during the late 1970s and early 1980s, what has been called the golden age of serial killers. While Northern California residents lived in terror for years while he stalked the Golden State for victims, many have never heard of this serial killer. I'll be covering it in depth in a three-part miniseries beginning on May 10th, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Once Upon a Crime is written, produced, and edited by me, Esther Ludlow. Our administrative research and production assistant is Lorena Garcia. Copy editing by Crystal Dernan. Original music and final sound mix by Aaron Goldberg. Until next time, be good to one another.